another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And Happy New Year, everybody. It is 2016. There it is. In order to uh, kick off the new year, I thought we'd try uh, the movie Sweet 16. This was my choice this time, right, Craig? Yeah, very clever. 16, <laughs> Sweet 16. Here we are. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, this is a film that I didn't know anything about. Uh, Craig didn't know anything about it. Neither of us had really heard of it until I started looking for movies with 16 in the title. Full disclosure. But uh, I did online happen to notice that it had a slight cult following, had been released to DVD somehow, despite its oddness. But I think the original negatives were lost. Uh, there was a little disclaimer at the beginning that said that due to the fact that the original negatives were lost, we apologize for the quality of this film. We've used the the best quality one we could get from the licensor. So that was interesting. Yeah, and it, it definitely looked like a transfer from like a VHS or, or something. It was, there are some places where the editing was a little choppy and it's, I don't know, you, you could tell that you, they, the disclaimer was probably a good idea. Yes, luckily, you know, this, this fine film would have been lost to time had it right. not for somebody rescuing it to make a couple bucks on DVD. So the thing that drew me to this movie and made me think this is one we might want to watch was simply the cast. The cast of this film is pretty interesting. We have uh, Bo Hopkins, who plays a sheriff in this film. He was in The Wild Bunch, American Graffiti, Midnight Express, lots and lots of TV in the 70s and 80s. And honestly, I thought he was one of the strongest actors. Okay. <laughs> not, a, not a high bar to cross, but okay, fair enough. Craig doesn't agree. We have Patrick McNee, who played John, uh, Melissa's father in this film. Now, this guy has a totally recognizable face. Uh, he was from The Howling, A View to a Kill. He was in This is Spinal Tap. Again, a lot of TV, all the way from the 50s through the 80s. He actually stood in for Leslie Nielsen, who was originally supposed to be cast in that role and then had to bow out at the last minute. I, I suppose this being a 1983 film, Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis came out in, what, like 1980, I Gosh, think? Gosh, I don't know. And Leslie Nielsen was a, was a star in that. Maybe he was, at the time, kind of doing a few more uh, horror slasher films. He might have been a go-to guy for a little while. Yeah, I, I read that, too, that uh, he had originally been cast. And I was when I heard that, my immediate thought was, well, is is supposed to be funny, you know, because that's, that's how I think of Leslie Nielsen. I think of yeah. him as Naked Gun and, and that kind of stuff. But I do know that earlier in his career, he took on a lot of serious roles, too. In fact, wasn't he in, not Creepshow, but the other one? He was in Creepshow, too. Was it Creepshow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Creepshow, too. <clears throat> oh, and he was in Forbidden Planet, you know. That right. Was, that's the one I really remember him from way back in the day. Uh, Billy, who is a kind of a redneck cowboy guy in here who just causes trouble. Don Stroud, who actually was in Django Unchained. Really? Yeah. From the Amityville Horror, he was also in a James Bond film, Licensed to Kill. Again, tons of TV work during the 70s and 80s. Marcy, which was a sister... Uh, we'll get into all these characters later. Right, she's the sheriff's daughter. That's Hank's right. daughter. Dana Kimmel, uh, she shortly... Before, shortly after this film was in Friday the 13th, Part 3. I saw that, and that must be where I really recognized her from, because her face really was familiar. Yeah. I, I imagine she probably popped up here and there in the 80s. I saw that she uh, did a stint on Days of Our Lives, and uh, that was my mom's show. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So I maybe I recognize her from there, too. But you, you're right, lots of recognizable faces. Uh, who was the, the kid that played her brother, Hank? Hank? Hank, his boy, name? he looked so familiar. Yeah, okay. I, 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 he looked so familiar, so I looked him up, and he was Troy from The Goonies. He was... Oh, uh, of course! Yeah the, yeah, the jerky Troy. And in this... I really liked him in that movie. I thought he played that <laughs> character really well. And then in this movie... 
I don't know. I guess he didn't really have much to work with. He was just kind of the all-American kid, but a little flat. (laughs) I think that was the problem with a lot of these people. It it seemed like all of them were pulled out of television, soap operas. They were starting to get their film filmography down, and uh, this was not a good vehicle for them. It really wasn't. Just to name two more, Don Shanks, who plays Jason, who is the Indian, younger Indian guy in this. Uh, He was in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, He was in uh, an Ang Lee film I really enjoy, Ride with the Devil. He was uncredited in Silent Night, Deadly Night. He was Uh one of the Santas climbing in the window. Interesting. Uh, He's not as big of a name as some of these other people were, but still... He's no slouch as far right. as what he's done before and since. And then Henry Wilcoxon played Greyfeather, the older Indian character yeah. in this. And this was his last film. And he's probably the most seasoned of all of them. He was a favorite of Cecil B. DeMille. And so he was in he was in The Ten Commandments. He was in The Greatest Show on Earth. A lot of Cecil B. DeMille's films. And then after Cecil B. DeMille died, he didn't actually get a whole lot of work. But he also played a number of Indian characters in television, and he was in Caddyshack huh. as well. So Yeah, he looked really familiar to me, but I was afraid that that was my mind just being stereotypical, <laughs> because, you know, he was kind of your stereotypical older Native American guy. So I don't know if I really recognized him or if just the character was, you know, so kind of generic. And, well, sadly, he didn't have a lot to do in this movie no. either. He had, like, what, two lines and... You didn't even see all that much of him. He came and went, although he's a bit of a figure in the plot. Yeah, well, that was one of the... the <laughs> plot. I, I use plot, the plot as a, in parentheses exactly. here. I mean, that was... <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about how we feel about it overall, I'm sure, at some point. But going through, like, so much of the time, I felt like I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Yeah. I, <laughs> there were so many characters introduced, and yes. none of them seemed particularly significant. It was like they were trying to establish as many red herrings as they possibly could. And so I... I, I had I was just lost for most of the time, and then at the end, when the mystery starts to f- get pieced together, some of the pieces fell into place. It's like okay, that kind of makes sense, that, but there was so much else going on that I I was a little bit lost. It's it's kind of a mystery. It's not your slasher film in the sense that there's a sort of a supernatural character running around or somebody we already know, like a Jason or a Michael Myers or whatever, that they're just trying to catch. Right. It's seriously a case of we really don't know who is doing these things. All we see, it's all stabbing murders, and all we see is just a, a hand very quickly. You can't even tell if it's a man or a woman. Right. You can barely tell what the knife looks like. And people just get picked off one by one in this very small town in, what must be, Texas? Austin, Texas? It's Texas, I think, yeah. Somewhere near... It's a small town. It's not Austin. Yeah, and it, the the plots... <laughs> the movie starts out... I mean, you know exactly what kind of movie it's going to be from the beginning because the very first shot is of this fully nude, full frontal nudity uh, young girl who is Melissa, who is really not the main character, but who things kind of revolve around throughout the course. Well, yeah, that's a strange thing. I mean, the movie's called Sweet Sixteen, and eventually it ends up her, her 16th birthday happens in the middle of this at a party the movie keeps coming back to her over and over again but she doesn't seem like any more of a significant character than anybody else in the film no the whole thing felt to me first of all it felt a little bit made for tv um, oh, yeah. in, in the quality of it and then it kind of felt like that kind of plot too you know more of a 
uh, a thriller mystery than straight up horror. It, it actually it kind of reminded me of like a young adult novel by like Christopher Pike or yes. any of those. Yes. And, and it would have been you know titled like There's Something About Melissa, and, <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and the the mystery kind of surrounds her, even though eventually you find out that she's really only kind of tangentially connected to what's going on. But um, it just felt very much like that. You've got the, you've got the sheriff who after the first murder. Okay, so we have Melissa naked. Great, yes. get a long, get nice long look at Melissa Quite showering Melissa, naked yes. with lots of uh, makeup on. And <laughs> meanwhile, this girl. I guess it's not established yet, but it's established very soon that she's supposed to be fifteen. So weird that it would open with a full frontal nude shot of her. I don't believe for a second that this actress was 16. Oh, absolutely not. She didn't look anything well, like nobody 16. nobody in here looks like their ages anyway. No. Um, it, there was, there's a funeral scene at one point, and Melissa, the girl who's supposed to be turning 16 or whatever, I thought, they could have put her in a different dress and a little bit more makeup, and she could have played these other young people's moms. Like, <laughs> she did not look anything near what her age is supposed to be. But So she and her family are new in town, and uh, because her dad is an archaeologist who is on a dig, and uh, she's a bad girl, and so immediately she goes out to a bar and she's looking for a good time. And well, she said her shoe broke. Right. And again, we're getting introduced to all these characters. You know, we cut from her naked scene to this bar where you've got the hillbilly Billy, who uh, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> is, is drunk and jackassing around. And then these two native at first, this older Native American guy comes in and gray feather, gray feather, and uh, the. Billy and his lackey are, you know, overtly racist. Hey, old man. You're not welcome here. Now you get your ass out of here. Billy, I don't think he can hear you with that hat of his on. Yeah. So just loosen up his little cap here. <laughs> And then a, a younger guy, Native American guy, Jason Longshadow, comes in, and you know they they the hillbillies and the natives uh, tussle, and then the bartender throws the natives out. Of course, totally unfairly, they didn't do anything wrong. And when they go out there, there's Melissa, and she tries to hit on Jason Longshadow, and he's kind of shoes her away. So after they go, then two younger guys from inside um, just pop out. Right, um, Johnny and and the sheriff's kid, right? Yeah, the sheriff's Hank. kid, Hank. Yeah. Yeah. And they come out, and Johnny's kind of flirting with her, and he's really a big jerk, but she's just wanting to get some action, I guess. Yeah, she's um, like the town slut, is what it right. seems like. Right, you know, she's bad, she smokes pot, and, you know, she's the bad girl or whatever. And I like how he introduces himself. Maybe you'd like to go for a ride. Maybe I would. Name's Johnny. This is my truck. <laughs> just the beginning of what is a total smorgasbord of 80s cheese throughout uh, this dialogue <laughs> yeah, that's right so they ditch Hank and yeah. uh, the two of them drive out to this spot in the desert and uh, start making out in the back of his truck but Melissa just sits up for no really good reason no established reason no. and says she gets a weird feeling yeah. about where they are and he says well this is an ancient Indian burial ground. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both about lost it there. It's so clumsy because there's no motivation for it. No. She gets up and she says, oh, we need to leave. We need to leave. It's like, okay, okay. And they start to get in the car and suddenly you get that 
point of view camera shot. Right. Like the classic killer point of view. Walking towards them, which we didn't get before. And it's like kind of walking towards their door and then they just sort of drive off. And it's not established well enough for you to get the sense that there's this killer that's been out there waiting for them or there's this killer prowling. Did she hear a twig snap? We don't know because we never saw it right. or heard it. It was all very strange. But they, they leave, you know, uh, and, and they he drives her home and she's all worried about her dad catching her stoned and uh, the dad does catch them <laughs> in the right car. right there by the door. And he's kind, kind of ominous. Did he have like a weird accent or does he just talk funny? I think he just talks funny, but yeah, he's a very proper, uh, he's, he's got an ascot on and everything. <laughs> right. His name was uh, was John. Johnny. Right, John. Yeah. John. We've mm-hmm. got John. See, that's another thing. <laughs> Damn it, movies! Don't give multiple <laughs> characters the same name. It's I know, too hard right? to keep track. Well, and this this movie, all the names, it felt like I was watching an episode of The Waltons. You you got like Hank and John and Johnny, Dan, Frank, Tommy, Kathy, right. Joni, um, Billy. I, there was hardly a name that didn't have a Y. Right. It sound like you know, <laughs> but yeah, that was. Uh, that was actually Patrick McNeese's character. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, so, you know, the dad is angry and he shoes the young guy away and the young guy's drunk and he, his car conveniently, run, his truck runs out of gas right back at the ancient Indian burial ground. <laughs> the same place. And uh, he's stumbling through very me- melodramatically and uh, somebody comes up behind him and stabs him and he's dead. And that... Uh, sets in motion this small series of murders that then we kind of follow throughout and and that's the central mystery who is doing this yeah it <clears throat> it turns out that Hank uh, who had to walk home apparently from the bar from Earl's that night uh, is the son of the sheriff and so if it revolves around anybody it's really revolving around the sheriff and his little family right um the sheriff uh, whose name was uh, Dan Dan He's divorced or something. We're not sure what's quite... The mom's out of the picture. It never explains anything. And he has these two uh, these two kids, Marcy and Hank. And... Right. <laughs> and they're like... They're like... One of the Hardy Boys in Nancy Drew. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When, she, when we're first introduced to her, she's actually reading a book called Murder Mystery. Called Murder Mystery. And, and she's sitting there reading it at the breakfast table and she goes... I knew it. The gardener did it. With a rake... Would you put that book away? It's not supposed to be a rake. How do you kill somebody with a rake? <laughs> and she is this, you know, she's her daddy's little sleuth. And, and I get the feeling that the brother, Hank, was kind of supposed to be that too, but they just didn't play it up yeah. uh, as much. But it's hilarious because they're like his little investigative team. <laughs> like, he gets the call that Johnny never made it home last night, so he goes out to investigate, and he just takes his teenage kids with him to yeah. wherever, the you know, they find the truck and... Uh, and she's always inserting her opinions into this. And he's like, well, I think I'll be the one doing the investigation here. And okay, daddy, I'll just run off. And it's not like she's right most of the no. time either. But she- it's just so funny and so silly. Like she throws around terms like TOD, time of death. Like she's like <laughs> explaining them to people and to the audience. Uh, she's this, oh God, it's so funny. She's just, an, she's, she's Nancy Drew. Well, you know that though, they never really follow through with that thread so much either. It's like she pops in as a Nancy Drew character sometimes, but for a good majority of the movie, she's either not there or, or tagging, just tagging or just along. tagging along or doesn't really have anything valuable to contribute. You know, it, it's, it's weird. It's like, 
a half-written character here that's never quite fleshed out. But she's clearly the the nicer. Right. She's the good girl. You know, she wears collars that come all the way up to her neck and she has her hair and you know very modest style she's and she says well she doesn't know how to wear makeup apparently like right? melissa does you know, it seems like she does a pretty good job of putting her makeup on oh god <laughs> and and then it's you know it's it's difficult to describe the plot because i feel like it's it really so is. convoluted and they kind of try to take you off into all these different places and clues just keep getting dropped so clunkily like um, at one point Melissa's mother said you know is talking to somebody and and the so-and-so says how's your sister and she's like fine (laughs) like just these little (laughs) things like oh okay I'm sure that's not going to come back up later (laughs) Um, it's overall it's clunky I mean when it gets right down to it this is a bad movie. Oh yeah. It's a it's a really bad movie. But and we kind of talked about this before. This is one of those that's almost so bad it's good. Oh yeah. I mean, we were sitting here eating pizza, drinking beer, and laughing our asses off because <laughs> it is so unintentionally funny. I mean, we were we were really really cracking up through a good portion of the movie just because it's so silly and ridiculous well and you don't really know what they're trying to do the director of this film jim sotos is short for like dimitri sotoslavsky or something like that so and according i looked him up on imdb and according to his bio that he wrote himself he's directed hundreds of music videos and hundreds of tv commercials and then he has very little in the way of film in his name after this one in particular Uh but it's it does not feel like the kind of movie that would be shot by a guy with a lot of experience in shooting music videos and commercials, unless all the experience cap came after this film. It's not stylized no, in any way, no, shape, or form. No, it has form. like no style at all. And it's, that's why you say when you say if you feels like you're watching a TV movie, yeah. it's so pedestrian in uh-huh. the way that it's shot. It's too dark and I mean, it could be a function of the print and things, right. but it's it's really dark in places. It's framed up just. Just the bare minimum of how you'd frame up the characters. The locations are not that interesting. No, and the like the only kind of different thing they did with the cinematography was those they, they had a, a few of those POV shots, like killer POV shots, and then they had these weird out of nowhere slow motion sequences that yes. I don't understand what they were going for. Like it was just bizarre. Like just out of nowhere there would just be a a slow mo shot of Melissa or whoever. And you know, lots of like exploitive body shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she's totally nude and for a good I would say minute and a half or oh, so yeah. in the beginning, for just in the shower, nothing to do with the plot at all. And then she's constantly just kind of wearing these skimpy outfits, no bra. Right. And she like just, or, or just like a camisole and panties or something. And she'll just be staring at herself in the mirror and the camera will do a really, really slow pan shot up her body, like linger on her panty area. Like it's just, it's odd. It's strange. And what's stranger is that it inserts these at the oddest moments. It's like, we need to show the passage of time or we need to just, we haven't seen Melissa in a while. I sort of feel like it was just inserted to keep Melissa as a thread throughout this movie because she actually doesn't play a big role in it. Yeah. But she's billed on the front. It's called Sweet 16. There's a picture of her provocative on the poster. But you're right. And it's extremely exploitative of her. They're just long lingering scenes of her looking at herself in the mirror. Her changing her clothes and staring at herself in the... Her walking by a mirror in a skimpy outfit and stopping and turning and looking. It... 
Oh, and then the mu- the, the theme song comes in. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that was one of those weird moments where it's just, it's, okay, so after the first murder, all of the teenagers go to, to school, to high school, where it seems like they hang out for like five minutes a day and then follow their parents around all the rest of yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, You'd think it was summer, except they're still going to school. Right. So there's the, you know, there's the new girl and she's sitting by herself kind of, I guess, like on the lawn during lunch or whatever. Uh, and the there's just kind of a long shot of her and this lovely melody comes up. Melissa, what are you thinking, sweet Melissa? Are you with us God, and it goes on and on. It's like narrating uh, the movie for us. It is so funny. (laughs) And I was waiting for it, too, because in the opening credits, which also feel very cheap and pedestrian, it feels very much like an 80s TV movie, that that was billed right there at the beginning. Music by so-and-so and and Melissa written by... So I was just waiting for the Melissa theme song, and I was not disappointed. It came at a very odd place. Uh, Yeah, and then they repeated it several times. (laughs) (laughs) Usually when she's staring at herself... Mirror. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's crazy. Well, she meets Tommy Jackson. She's still a bad girl. Tommy Jackson's a football player. Uh, she decides to meet him afterwards at this bar, behind the bar. Everything, you know, the bar is the only other place in town, apparently, apparently that high school kids can even meet right. And uh, he ends up dead. But she, in looking for him, stumbles across Greyfeather back there, who is, it's like he discovered the body or he's standing over the body or something. Scares uh, her, and uh, he sees the dead body, and she runs off and reports it. That gets the rednecks thinking that we got to get up in arms around these. And, and they even call a town meeting. Right. Um, there's another character, the mayor type, or the town chairman who comes I don't even in. Know who he that was supposed to, to be? Call a meeting, and and I guess it was to provide another red herring in that at this town meeting, Billy and his lackey yeah. are trying to get the crowd riled up that this is the fault of the Native Americans. You know who did it? Those red scum Indians. And this man don't want to do nothing about it. So we got to do it ourselves. Oh, I don't think we mentioned that Melissa's father, the archaeologist, is digging in this ancient Indian burial. Right. right. It all ties together very neatly. <laughs> <laughs> But not. I mean, they, it's like they're trying to make all these connections, but most of them don't even matter. No. Like, her dad, they could have completely erased that character out of the movie. He was There was com- no purpose. I, I guess, okay, so he's doing this dig, and, and like, like Todd said, everything is, you know, intricately woven together. He's doing this dig on the Indian Reservation... Apparently, because he wants to excavate the artifacts so that he can sell them. So he can do more excavating. So that he can do more excavating (laughs) on the land. And then one of his workers just happens to be Jason Longshadow, the young Native American. And it's just, it's so convoluted. It's weird because they try to throw, oh, Jason Longshadow is a suspect because he was the last person, because he was angry at Melissa. Um, shortly before Melissa ran off with with uh, John with uh, yeah Johnny with Johnny, and so he becomes a person of interest. Uh, did he kill Johnny? Then, of course, Greyfeather was the last one seen at that crime, and so Greyfeather is a person of interest. But when the cop goes to when the sheriff goes to question Greyfeather after this, he finds him hanging, and they invent 
uh, he even alludes like they've invented the suicide story. Yeah. They've told the press and they've told the public and they've put in the records that it was a suicide, even though the sheriff knows damn well that it was those rednecks that went and killed him. And, which and makes it, no sense. It doesn't make any sense. And, like, we're, it's never explained what he was doing there at the crime scene. Like... Yeah, <laughs> there's no explanation for that at all. I feel like when Melissa run bumps into him, literally bumps into him at the crime scene, he says, "Run." Is yes. that what it, like, run? So did did he know who the killer was? I don't know. <laughs> and he, then right, and then he ends up hanged, and it's suggested to us that he was hanged by Billy and the other hillbilly guy, but that's really never confirmed. Like everything did, is, just, yeah. everything's just kind of left up in the air. That's really left up in the air. What I want to know is. Really, that uh, John, his worker, helping him dig into an ancient Indian burial site is a Native American man? Right. <laughs> well, and see, that that's, again, more convoluted plot. So then the, the dad, who is doing the excavating, he comes to the cop, Dan, and says, I fired uh, Jason, and I want you to arrest him because things have gone missing. Oh, well, what was it that went missing? I sure this is my work. Those aren't just artifacts to me. They're more than that. Those knives alone could bring me enough financial support to excavate the entire burial mound. Knives? I've never seen anything like it. Five exquisite pieces. They were buried with their chiefs. The sacred knives. I mean, knives. Oh my gosh. They were killed with knives. Right, right. And of course, he wouldn't have thought to maybe mention that before because, again, this guy, the dad, has gone around like investigating with the cop. Apparently, the cop just takes whoever's handy around to like be his deputy or something. I don't. Yeah. It's so so strange. It's weird. Well, he Mm. finds the knife. He breaks into the. He essentially breaks into every house he goes into. The cop, right. The cop. uh, Knock, knock. Nobody's home. So he just opens the door and starts searching. Right. And he finds. The the first one he does that to, he finds Gray Feather feather hanged. Well, then he's suspicious of uh, Jason. So he goes to his house. Again, no answer. So he just goes in. And not only does he just go in, but he starts going through his stuff. (laughs) And then, like, he. Of course, he opens one trunk and pulls back one blanket. And there is this whole stack of tribal knives it's which just... apparently he's actually stolen right he... <laughs> from the dig so he gets arrested and put in jail while the cop goes on his investigation and he's teamed up with this other girl who's maybe my favorite character in the whole thing kathy I have no idea who she is what, what is she where does she work she where works like they? in is public records, records that i guess must be it they have one computer. Of course, it's 1980, but right. they have one computer, so it's going to take her a while. So he just decides he's going to go through the microfilm himself. Oh, gosh. Um, and they go. And the thing about Kathy is that she's constantly trying to. Hit, she's the comic relief of this whole thing. Yeah. She's constantly. She's hitting the intentional comic Dan, relief. That's right. <clears throat> she's intent. She's hitting on Dan. Uh, it seems like didn't I got the sense that they were like in a relationship, right? Right? Is that no? I know that sense. See, I got the sense that she wanted a relationship, and he just flirted with her to get what he wanted. But he wasn't really interested. <laughs> maybe I don't know. I just but the girl does bring it up. Yeah, His the girl says say, maybe you maybe you Ken? should propose to her. The daughter, you know, why maybe you should propose to her. So and he says I'm not in any hurry to get uh, married again. to get married again. But well, it becomes very clear why you wouldn't propose to this woman. Well, she's super annoying. She's funny. She is annoying, but she's funny. I mean. She's everything out of her mouth is a hint. Like, you know, let's go take me out to a nice steak dinner. Ooh, I sure do love 
love baked potatoes. Uh, <clears throat> Here's what I would eat. Which, oh. and, but what's even funnier about that is <laughs> there's I couldn't for the life of me figure out what about him was appealing to her. Like <laughs> he just totally brushes her off at every turn and you know shows absolutely no interest in her whatsoever and she just keeps laying it on laying it on. It's funny. Yeah, it is funny. <clears throat> Well, they go on their investigation, and that's where he is looking up previous murders in the town, which is an odd thing to do, I think. I know it's sort of typical, let's see what the history of this town is, and dive in. But usually that's when the murder has some sort of historical basis. Right. Like, it's part of a very... It's not just... Some, some people have been getting stabbed. It's some people have been dying in a very unusual way that maybe points to an event that happened earlier or an artifact or, or something about the town. Right, but how they came to that conclusion makes no sense to me because all of these murders appear to be Just... about Melissa in some way. And she's only 16 and she's new in town. So, you know, how could that... Yeah. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Except for that, another one of those little nuggets of exposition that just gets dropped in there, Melissa's mother, who looked a lot like Carrie Fisher, didn't you think? Yes, she did. Anyway. Well, Melissa, you've got to say, Melissa's mother is Susan Strasberg. Uh, She is the daughter of Lee Strasberg, the very famous acting coach at the Actors Studio who really brought method acting to the United States based on Stanislavski's um, acting techniques. Yeah, they could have used his help. Yeah, they really could have. And I feel like she probably is a very good actress. And maybe many of these people are good actors. They just were given such terrible material and terrible direction. It seems that way. But she drops a little nugget of information that oh, I used to live here a long time ago, but I had to leave because my dad had to take a job or something, and, well, we're back now or something. And, again, mm-hmm. it's another one of those, oh, I I can't imagine that will be important later. <laughs> and, and that scene where you're talking about um, with Hank and, and Kathy, is it, no, Dan, Dan the cop and uh, Kathy doing the investigating, you get the sense that that's the point where they're putting things together and we're supposed to put things together too. But... <sighs> You're just getting these shots of text on the microfiche, and I, I still don't murders. get it. I still don't get it. It well, was like there were there were. It seemed at first like it was significant that there were murders every couple of years. Yeah, and then it, the last one he sees, the one that's like the aha moment or whatever, says local girl found dead in institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look at the text, the girl's name was Joan Platt which is Melissa's mother's maiden name. Yes, and that is something you could have missed. You picked up on it. I I gave up trying to read these things because yeah. I couldn't see any connection, but you're the one who said, oh, isn't that Melissa's mother? Okay. Oh, but if she's dead, okay. Now we start, you know, figuring out that it might be Joan's mother in right. some way, shape, or form. And that's kind of, and at that point, point you know the reveal doesn't come right away i mean no. they they figure out who it is or, or the dad does dan uh, seemingly i mean because he hightails it out of there and is is booking it towards the sweet 16 party which was where everybody is now everybody in town was invited to the sweet it's got everybody be a in small town right it seems like there's like 20 people in the whole town <laughs> um and uh the parties you know just going well everything's fine um melissa and the son hank, hank go off on a walk together where they end up swimming in the pond again melissa totally topless and exposed uh, to the camera and then you get the pov shots again we already know it, it, there was a scene at some point where jason the native american guy was in jail but he broke out so we know he's on the loose 
So again, there's all these red herrings, um, and then this is sort of the convergence of all of those suspects. Exactly. Essentially, they're they're in the water, and through the woods comes Billy, Billy. and his uh, the redneck, redneck yeah. friend. They're taking a whiz. They ha- of course they happen to be taking a whiz at the same place, and they mm-hmm. notice them at the same time. Then we see the Jason, Jason, the Indian, who is just broken out of jail, coming into the woods. Looks like maybe he's following the kids, right, and not the guys. And then there's a big interaction where Jason comes upon the rednecks and he's like, I know you killed uh, Greyfeather. What did he ever do to you? There's a tussle there where they knock him out. You think they've killed him, but they haven't quite. Melissa leads Hank into the water and they frolic for a little while. And then she just gets out and starts walking away. And he's like, where are you going? And she doesn't answer. She just keeps walking away. And she comes upon the rednecks who start to rough her up and... That scene made me really uncomfortable. It was very strange. It felt like you were kind of going to get into, like, I Spit on Your Grave or, yeah. or Last House on the Left territory there. But then not at all. No. Because one of them slaps her and knocks her out, knocks and then they out. get really upset that they've knocked her out. So it's like they have, they have no trouble roughing her up, but they would never go so far <laughs> as to knock her out or right. I, I, it, uh, do weird things to her. It, it, it's kind of questionable what in the world were they hoping for right why were they roughing her up right. in the first place um, um but anyway so they the the other one the lackey he's the one that knocks her out then billy's like why would you do that and go get some water and so he goes down to get <laughs> some water i guess to splash on her face i don't know and then while he's down there billy gets killed That's right. and then the lackey comes back and is like oh no and then he gets killed and then hank comes out of the water <laughs> and then he he gets stabbed, like, but, in the... Or, or, like, in they, the shoulder or yeah, something? They had... I, I guess the rednecks had kind of knocked him out, too. Like, he had tried to come to Melissa's aid or something yeah, like that. They he was laying on the out. ground. He woke up, and the killer stabs him, like, in the arm. And the cinematography is so jumbled. You can't even really tell what's going on. But, like, he he gets up and, and runs away. And like then the, it's nothing. Like it's nothing. And then the movie just ends. ends. Yeah, the cop... The it's, Oh, no, what happens is the girl comes across the sister the sister marcy marcy who's been looking for them stumbles across this whole scene of and, dead bodies of dead bodies and sees the uh, melissa's mother sort of poised over her sitting on the ground poised over her she's got blood on her dress mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she has a knife in her hand and as marcy gets closer she raises the knife like from about three or four feet away right. like she could never stab her but raises the knife as though she's going to stab her and then from out of nowhere the father dan the sheriff dives in in another one of those weird slow-mo scenes mm-hmm. where you know they were just watching the footage and said boy this looks like utter crap right we, we better like at least slow-mo this up or something <laughs> comes dives and dives her out of the way and then starts this deal where they're talking down the mom and so it turns out that the mom this is where you start to finally figure out that it's supposed to be the mom and you're trying to figure out why well and it's all very calm like he like the Dan tackles his daughter gets her out of the way and then he's like just kind of talking to her the killer you know the lady with the knife is just just sitting there you know talking crazy to Melissa or whatever Um, let me me have the knife um, nobody's gonna hurt you I promise nobody's gonna hurt you let let me have the knife thanks Hank is just kind of sitting, like, literally, just sitting in the background, just like in the back of the shot. He's not doing anything. They're just hanging out, chill, you know, killers, whatever. Um, And so then the dad, Dan, starts trying to kind of talk down the mother whose name we thought was Joan, but... 
the way that it is explained, and she's kind of babbling. She's she's talking to Melissa, but she's referring to Melissa as, as Joan. Joan. And uh, she's saying, we got to get away. He's coming. we got to get away. And then she freaks out like, no, Daddy, stop. Don't hurt her. Don't hurt her. Um, so apparently, and, and after they do finally, well, after she's subdued, we'll get there in a second, but there's a scene where Dan is talking to uh, Melissa's dad mm-hmm. and explaining uh, what had happened. <laughs> which, which they absolutely have to do. Well, <laughs> and it's like... hilarious because, what, okay, the way that the the mother is subdued, the sheriff reaches for the knife. He's like, give me the knife. I promise nobody's going to hurt you. I promise nobody's going to hurt Melissa. And she just takes the knife and plunges it into her chest for no apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, Dan is explaining to her husband, mind you, his wife is now dead and has been responsible for murdering a bunch of people. It's (laughs) like they're chatting over coffee. He has the same calm affect on his face that he's had throughout everything in this movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, well, I I always knew that she was... uh... I didn't realize she was so troubled. I guess that really shook her up, she, that she, childhood. Uh... Yeah, she talked about her sister, but I never really paid it any mind. She's <laughs> <laughs> too busy with my archaeological digs. <laughs> so apparently what happened is there were two sisters. There was Joni and Trisha, and the dad abused Joni. It's never really specifically said how, how you get the su- suggestion that it was like sexual. Um, but I guess Trisha killed the dad, and Joni went insane and had to be institutionalized and then she killed herself and when Joni killed herself Trisha took on her identity mm-hmm. and moved back to the town right to get kind of to f- completely fulfill her identity and start murdering people well right because now she's projected this need to protect somebody onto Melissa mm-hmm. and so anybody that gets close to Melissa potentially causes a threat to Melissa she takes them out I mean I guess it kind of makes sense but it seems like it comes so far out of yeah. left field like they've given you so much misdirection that when you get to the end you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and go okay well and <laughs> it's a problem with these sort of hacky things is that it leaves a whole heck of a lot unexplained a lot of plot holes as to how could she be in these different places uh, yeah undetected how could she be following them when she's one, at the party? yeah one of how- the murders takes place and then like the very next scene hank and marcy are walking down the road and the mom like picks them up i mean i guess maybe it's supposed to be suggested that she's come directly from that murder mm. i don't know but there are tons of plot holes like in my mind, I can understand why Jason would have stolen the knives, but they never explain why. No. I mean, it's just it's just for the purpose of being a red herring, and there are so many of those. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's full of holes all over the place. Yeah, and uh, and I love at the end too, where then Jason kind of comes in and they start talking with him too, and it's like all all was forgiven. You stole the knives, and then you broke out of prison. Uh, you beat up the deputy. Beat up the deputy, put him in the jail, and locked him in there. But and then you know went down and actually threatened the the redneck Redness. guys. I mean, he did whip out a knife on them, right? But I guess he's cleared of yep. all that now. So we water, water the under bridge. The bridge. <laughs> <clears throat> So that's pretty much it, except then we go back to a scene, kind of the the party guests are still kind of there, I guess, kind of lingering or whatever, and you see it's the the shot is from behind Melissa. It's kind of over her shoulder, and she's kind of wrapped up in a blanket, you know, traumatized, I guess, and over her shoulder, you can see that she's talking to Marcy and Hank, and Marcy kind of looks at her and says, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. And it was a. I knew something weird was going on because it was perfectly clear that they were intentionally not showing her face. In mm-hmm. fact, I it 
it looked to me like a stand-in. It looked like yeah. somebody in a wig. I don't know if it was, um, but it was pretty intentional that they weren't. So I was wondering what they were going to reveal. She gets up to walk away, and she walks in the house, and the beautiful Melissa song starts playing again. <laughs> Slow-mo again. Right. She gets to the door, at which, which point the point of view switches to the other side of the door. She opens, and again, like you said, slow-mo, and she just walks in with like these wild, crazy eyes, like just this ridiculous look on her face, and she drops the blanket, and she's holding <laughs> the a knife, knife in her hand like a looney tune <laughs> and then and then that's it that's so i guess we're supposed to so, think that this whole thing has traumatized her and now she's gonna be a psycho knife killer like her mother it seemed like they were setting it up for the sequel oh. that it was never going to happen oh my gosh uh, thank god terribly inept movie uh, in almost every way and i will give the actors a pass simply because their lines were terrible and the plot was hard to follow, and the locations were bad, and the direction was clearly bad. I know. Uh, it, staging it's, it's, didn't work. It's just so silly. I mean, there was such... And honestly, I had a good time watching it with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it was fun to... You know, order a pizza, grab a couple beers. If you're a rebel like uh, the girl and Melissa, you know, maybe light up a doobie or something. And, <laughs> uh, and, and if you're looking for cheesy stuff... I think you could have you could have a really good time with this movie. I had a good time watching it. I mean, there was just so many even things that we skipped over. There's a scene in the graveyard after one of the younger boys death and again the graveyard is just like the same desert set that they've been on the whole time but they just stuck white wooden crosses in the ground and that's the graveyard and they're burying this kid and Marcy confronts Melissa who at this point she's never really met oh my god <laughs> and she like chews her ass for a minute and then Melissa turns to walk away and she's like oh wait I'm sorry <laughs> we can still be friends <laughs> and they start making up like suddenly like that I guess that wasn't a good way for me to yeah, and then, get and, off on the right and foot. then they're best friends and then in the next scene the the Marcy and Hank and Dan are the family are all driving away and the guys are talking about how maybe Melissa's a subject a suspect and Marcy's like no no way we're best friends you would never do anything like that you don't understand her like I do oh my god so many cheesy parts and it really is laugh out loud funny yeah, this is a movie to totally get the MST3K treatment. Yes, uh, absolutely. If you're there with your friends, um, that's really the only reason to watch this yeah. film. I don't know. Final? Any other final thoughts? I, no, I have no other final thoughts. <laughs> I, I am surprised we had as much to say about it as we did. I mean, I really kind of had no idea. I was left kind of speechless. I was left dumbfounded. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the most odd little horror movies I've ever seen. And there are times when you see movies that maybe don't reach the potential that they could have. And this is not one of those no, times. No. <laughs> this is a pure, but it is the quintess. And sometimes people will say, Oh, well that movie's so bad. It's, it's funny. And it's not, <laughs> uh, or it starts out that way. And then it just gets right. boring. And this movie was anything but that, uh, it definitely from beginning to the final scene has things for you to make fun of oh, things for you to laugh at things for you to just to blow your mind pure cheese at its <laughs> finest well again happy new year thank you for joining us uh, with sweet 16 we hope to be bringing you more podcasts as the year goes on if you enjoy this podcast please share it with a friend like us on facebook find us on stitcher and on itunes until next week i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw what's that look upon your face